Hi there coaches, congratulations on completing another spring season. I hope you guys are enjoying your summer. I believe today's podcast is a must listen for any coaches applying for new coaching jobs this summer as my guest provides lots of advice regarding this process. So please be sure to send this on to any of your peers who you believe might benefit from listening to this conversation. My guest is Adam Schachterly, who recently completed a sports season as the head men's coach at Pepperdine University. He has helped re-establish Pepperdine as an annual contender for West Coast Conference titles and a team capable of mixing it up with the best teams in the country. In this podcast, we discuss Adam's first job with Wilson Sporting Goods after graduating from Northwestern University and what he learned in that role, his decision to move on to a head coaching role after just a short stint as an assistant coach, his reasoning to return to an assistant coaching role after his experience as a head coach, and how he convinced Pepperdine that he was the best man for the job. Adam Schachterly, thank you for joining me on the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I know you had a, had a long, tough day yesterday at the WCC Championships, but you're gearing up today to figure out where you're going for the NCAA Championships. So appreciate you guys, all the coaches. I say this every time, this time of year, I know how crazy busy it is and it's about to get busier here probably for you for the next few weeks. So thanks for doing this. Thanks, David. I'm excited. Yeah, it was one of those matches where you're really proud of the effort, but just gutted with the result. And yeah, you got to walk away feeling good about the effort the boys put forward, though. Yeah, well, it sounds like they're, they're playing some good tennis at the right time. So I'm, I'm excited to see where you guys go in, in the NCAA tournament. And hopefully I'll get to see you in person out in Champaign in a few weeks time. So, but lots of questions. I mean, especially this time of year, we have, uh, you know, our younger coaches especially start thinking about what's next? You know, are they applying for a head coaching job? Are they maybe moving to another assistant role? Are they going from being a head coach to an assistant, you know? And so there's a lot of questions that I have lined up for you today that are kind of talking about that transition, but I'd like to kind of take you back to shortly after your graduation from Northwestern. I should note, I was very fortunate to get to know you when you were a player at Northwestern and I was the assistant women's coach there and, and always love connecting with you. And, and you're always such a array of positivity around the Northwestern campus. So, but you, you after, shortly after graduation, you did uh, take on a role at Wilson as a tour and juniors manager. I'd imagine that job allowed you to network with a lot of people in the tennis industry but other than kind of the networking advantages, what else did you learn in that role? Yeah, it was, it was a whirlwind coming out of college. Actually, five days after I started, I was at Wimbledon. And so to have the experience, I ended up traveling to all four slams. And you mentioned just the exposure to top coaches, athletes, just finding out the mindset of these players that were going deep at slams. I think that was a huge advantage for me as a future coach. But really, I think what helped me the most about my Wilson experience was learning a lot about myself. I knew that I was interested in teaching, mentoring. Coaching had not really entered my mind right when I was leaving school, but I just became fascinated with the developmental side of tennis. And I think that was my job at Wilson evolved into choosing who to sign. And, you know, my, my areas were North and South America, Asia and Australia when I, when I finished. And so I was tracking on 12 to 18 year old young players. And it really became fascinating to me why someone that was five ITF might never make the top 500 ATP or WTA. And then you'd have another player like a Rayanich who was not one of the best juniors in the world. You know, I remember him losing early at the Orange Bowl in the 18s. And then within two years, he's, he's beating Feliciano Lopez in back-to-back ATP events to become a top 50 ATP player. And so for me, that time at Wilson was a bit of a laboratory for me as a young coach, asking a lot of questions and just tracking on what really makes the difference in these, in these players growing and changing as people, as competitors and as tennis players, what, what are the keys to that four to five year process of going from an elite junior to an elite pro and that fascination, it, it, it led to me, you know, looking at, 
coaching with the USTA, looking at coaching in college and, and some other opportunities where I could really be a part of that process firsthand instead of, instead of tracking it on the outside. And I think, you know, my last year at Wilson, what woke me up to this passion that was kind of bubbling up towards coaching, every time I would have the freedom to schedule my own lunches or my own dinners or just meeting someone for a drink, I, I was pursuing the, the top coaches and not, not agents or, or other folks in the industry. And so, you know, after the eighth or ninth time that something like that occurred, it sort of, uh, you know, conversation with myself was like, Hey, this is a, this is a real passion. And I think it's something that I would love to pursue. Mm. No, it's great that you got that clarity. Cause I, I, I often ask this question of, of coaches because my experience was, was coming out of college playing a little bit, but then moving into the world of finance and, I feel like that experience was so valuable for me. I'm working on the uh, down on the trading floor and I'm seeing people lose million of, millions of dollars, literally lose their shirt on a day. I'm seeing fights break out. I'm seeing absolute chaos and carnage. And then going on, you know, that clarified that A, I didn't want to do that. And B, I really did want to be a college coach, but then transitioning to college coaching, I'm probably not going to get as high or low about a, a loss um, that isn't costing millions of dollars. I'm still going to have my house at the end of the day. And, and I wonder, you know, would you recommend college coaches, uh, you know, those that are in college right now, should they consider working in some other industries just to clarify that this is what they want to do? Or should they try and hop straight in, be a volunteer, be an assistant coach, maybe even be a head coach right out of the gates? Or do you have any thoughts, recommendations, advice on that? Sure. I, I think it's my path was unique as yours was to, to leave the industry for a little bit and then come back in. What it's done for me and, and the gift that it has been for me with my career coaching has just been the amount of gratitude that I have to be a college coach. And, you know, I had a lot of people approach me at Wilson and say like, man, you're so, you're so fortunate to be traveling all over the world and working in this tennis industry. And for me, college coaching has even been a higher passion. And so when things get tough and, and they always do in, in college coaching, you know, you don't get a recruit that you've poured a lot of time and energy into, or, you know, I think a lot of us as coaches have disappointments at different times with our administration, whether it comes to a budgetary decision, or again, you know, maybe it's an admission decision that we don't fully agree with. It's been helpful from my perspective to just keep in mind that I'm doing what I love. And I think it was helpful to have another experience before I got into college coaching to not have that maybe the grass is greener mentality, because I know even, even working a phenomenal job at Wilson, it still was was different than being able to build these relationships you know I, I think college coaching the the relationships you can build with athletes during these formative years is is it's special and so for me i i always have that ability to contrast the three or four years that i spent at wilson with my experience as a college coach and just be grateful for for the experience I can have. Yeah, no, I think there's something to be said for it for sure. But moving on then from from Wilson, so you decide to go back to your alma mater and and get the opportunity to work with our our good friend Arvid Swan uh, as his assistant before moving on to become the head coach at North Florida. So why did that decision make sense for you at the time to leave that assistant coaching role? Because you weren't there that long and believe that you were, were really capable and ready to have the success that you ended up having at North Florida. This one was, I mean, that was one of those moments in life where you look back and go, man, like that's either a God moment or it's lucky or it really was not well thought out or planned at all. When we went, Arvid called me when I was at the French Open and we had had an ongoing discussion. He was a mentor to me. And I think, you know, you talk about a special relationship that you're able to build. This was the other side, being a college athlete and just having someone who cares about you as a human being far beyond tennis. You know, we both know that that's who Arvid is. And he was someone that I talked through the decision to ask my wife, you know, to marry me, the, the decision of where I was living, you know, post-college, I, you know, 
sought his advice a lot during my time at Wilson. And I had started a conversation over the previous year with him about, hey, do you see me as a, a fit for college coaching? You, what do you think about my skill set? You know, what would be the right move to make? And I, I really had no intention of that leading to Northwestern. I was pursuing his advice. And then he called me while I was in Paris and said, hey, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. My job is actually open. Chris Drake had gotten the head coaching position at Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, what do you think? And so my intention when I started at Northwestern, my wife and I loved living in Chicago. She had a great job and we were planning on being there for five, six years and really mentoring under, under Arvid. The start of this head coaching opening was positioned actually at Florida Gulf Coast Open. And it's in the same conference as North Florida. Didn't know much about it. And my parents were living half the year, 10 minutes from FGCU. And so I started talking with my wife, hey, what would you think? I'm 27 years old. You know, I've got less than a year and a half of experience college coaching, but you know, this, this could be a pretty cool way to learn and bet on ourselves and, and see what we could do. And the FGCU HR department came back and said, you don't have the requisite experience to even interview. <laughs> and so, you know, that was a short conversation and, and I thought just, okay, move along. And a couple of weeks later, out of the blue, I got a call from the, the North Florida athletic director as I was pulling into Northwestern to, to practice. And when I called my wife, she was like, wait a second, the FGCU, the UNF, like, is this the same school? Like, what are you talking about? And uh, no, this is a different small school in Florida and it's another head coaching opportunity. And, you know, it ended up being... First of all, I have to say thank you to Arvid, which I've done many times, but his approach to the entire situation, this was in the middle of the fall. It was October, November timeframe. It really was, you know, I, I was leaving him hanging and in a tough position to scramble and hire another assistant for the spring. And he, from the beginning, always prioritized what would be best for my development. And I, I'm so appreciative of that. I've tried to do that as a head coach, you know, for my assistants, but he really put his, his money where his mouth was and how he handled that situation. And he encouraged me to really pursue and look at it. And North Florida had five juniors in their starting lineup that the previous head coach had done an excellent job recruiting and developing. And so I walked into a situation where I had a two-year window to compete with a great group uh, of mature and tough competitors. And then it also gave me a chance to really build my learning experience as a recruiter, because we only had at the time 3.2 scholarships and I had 2.7 in that junior class. (laughs) And so I was looking at basically the entire roster flipping over and I, I was able to really strategically look at how we wanted to replace the bulk of our starters. And so I think those two experiences, you know, managing a, a very good team, we ended up hitting top 50 and, and beat some power five programs in the, the two years that I had that great group. And then also recruiting five or six guys in one recruiting class and managing that amount of scholarship and deciding when to commit certain players and when to wait for maybe a stud recruit it was a, a really helpful learning experience for me uh, on both sides. Mm, yeah, sounds like it. So after a couple of years there, you decided you wanted to head back to the Midwest and the, and the snow, and, and you had the opportunity to be Ryan Satchery's associate head coach or assistant coach at, at Notre Dame. Again, why did that decision make sense to you at that time? And was it a difficult transition going from being the lead decision maker to kind of more of an advisor role as an assistant coach, associate head coach? You know, I felt at the end of of my two-year period, I was really excited about the direction of the North Florida program. I had not had any experience to that point as a player or as a coach in a top 15 program. You know, my, my teams at Northwestern that I had competed on, we made the tournament, but, you know, we never won an NCAA match. 
And then when I had transitioned to Northwestern, we had a solid team there. North Florida was a 50 in the country level team. And that summer in the conversations that I had with mentors and family members and, and close friends, that really stood out to me in terms of what I needed in my development as a coach was, hey, I could compete for conference titles here at North Florida for a good bit of time. And I felt capable of putting together really competitive squads. But I, I felt like based on the resources and the support that we had there, it would be really difficult to produce a top 15, top 10 level program. And when I, you know, chatted through that and, and really sat down with where I was at in my confidence level and what I might need next, I thought that mentoring under an elite head coach and trying to be a part of a top 10 program could be a really helpful step to me in my growth in trying to be a top 10 head coach. And, you know, I think if there is other, if there are other young coaches listening to this, I think that that's something that is extremely personal. You know, there are some people that will tell you like, this is absolutely the way to go. You got to go be a head coach. You got to go be a top assistant. And I think it, it really comes down to personality and fit for me. There were three coaches that I identified uh, that summer as people that I would be really excited to work for. And I reached out to Brian Shelton at Florida and Ryan Satry at Notre Dame and Adam Steinberg at Pepperdine. <laughs> and mm-hmm. oh, like those were three programs that I'd be really excited to be a part of and, and coaches that I'd love to train under. And my wife was eight months pregnant. She was going down for a nap. You know, it was at that moment where it was getting tough in the pregnancy. And I told her, hey, I'm going to reach out to these three guys. And when she woke up, I was like, hey, I'm leaving in two days for an interview <laughs> with Notre Dame. <laughs> and Ryan just, you know, when I reached out to him, I think he felt like it could be a phenomenal fit. And, you know, it, when, when you were asking about moving into a different role, the first few years that we spent together, that really was never a challenge. And I, I credit Ryan. He, he gave me so much room to have a voice in the program. You know, we shared a lot of the decision-making when it came to recruiting and development. He gave me a lot of space to make decisions and, and make wrong decisions sometimes, you know, make mistakes. And he was really supportive from the beginning, wanting it to be a partnership and not, you know, I'm here, you're here, and I'll tell you what to do. And I, I really appreciate how he approached that process. And it also gave me a chance, you know, at the same time that I came in, Chris James, who's now the associate head coach at NC State, came in as the volunteer coach. And, and I learned as much from, from Chris as I did from Ryan. And, and I was really fortunate to spend those first, you know, few years just soaking up a lot of learning from from two phenomenal coaches and then i think by the the fourth or fifth year both ryan and myself you know we started to feel i think he was ready to take more ownership and leadership for every part of the program and maybe work with someone who was in that role where he was the lead dog and 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 they were carrying out exactly what he had in mind and i think i felt ready to be a head coach and, and be in that seat myself, hopefully for a program that could pursue the top 15, top 10 level. Mm-hmm. And so we also had a lot of agreement around the timing of that process as well. And so he, he remains a close friend and advisor and, and really support, you know, it changed my life being able to go to Notre Dame and compete in the ACC and compete with the, the top dogs in college tennis and, and also to learn from such a great mentor. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I can see it's not lost on you just how fortunate you've been to work, you know, for guys like Ryan and, and Arvid, two of the classiest individuals in, in, in our sport. And so I'm interested just in how, obviously, you were more experienced than a lot of other people that are maybe going on to being an assistant coach or associate head coach for the first time. But it sounds like you were extremely intentional. You, you had your list of three coaches because I think sometimes you're a young coach, you want an opportunity, you don't really care where it is, right? It's just give me that opportunity. 
and then you land there and you realize you're not necessarily a great fit for that head coach. And, and maybe there is a personality clash or a coaching philosophy clash and it ends up going south. And so how did you create that list? I guess you had three, what were some of the qualities that you were looking at? How did you figure out that you would be a good fit for one of those three coaches? You know, I, I don't want to send the message that I knew every step of the way exactly where I was going. I, I'll just, before I answer that question, I, I remember the first night I was at North Florida, it was about 11 p.m. and I, I had met with the administrators during the day and I was in the office. My wife was still in Chicago and I sat down at the desk and, you know, basically had a moment where I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, and I, I wrote on a piece of paper, you know, development, fundraising and program development community, you know, and then I started making a list under, okay, what am I going to do under development? That starts with recruiting, you know, then, then all the way through, what am I going to do for fundraising? I need to build these relationships and, and start through this process. What does it look like in the rest of the community? And I made probably 50 phone calls to other head coaches during the first three months at, at North Florida. And I was calling people that I, I had good relationships with like coach Marine at, at Western Michigan. Davis has won a million conference titles and that, okay, how do you do this as a, as a mid-major? How do you succeed at this level? What are you trying to do? And then I, you know, I remember calling Brad Pierce at BYU and, and they had a lot of success during the last five years when I called them and we had no relationship. And I said, hey, can I just steal 30 minutes and pick your brain a little bit? And so, you know, those, those times, I don't want to you know, seem like I had it all together. I was full on panicking, wondering <laughs> what the heck I had done, taking that, taking that job and feeling like I had no business whatsoever being a division one head coach. Um, and, and I think those moments are actually really helpful and, and formative as well to just in the end, build your confidence that, you know, you can, you can manage tricky situations as a head coach and you can go into situations where you might not have the answer, but you can, you can find the answer. Mm -hmm. Going back to your question about what I was intentional about when it came to working for other people, Arvid really helped me understand how valuable it was to have a head coach who would be a champion for you as an assistant. And I, you know, going through that process, when I, when I got the job at North Florida, I really felt I had no business getting the job based on my current experience level there were so many other coaches that had a better resume as a player and a, as a young coach. And Arvid, when he spoke with the AD, you know, made it almost impossible for the guy not to hire me. <laughs> and so as I was looking to come back into an assistant role, I think that experience was, was present, you know, knowing that, Hey, when, when, when I'm going to, to work for someone, having them be a champion for me is a really important piece of that process. And then the other piece of it was holistic development and, and how important it was that the head coach cared about his players as people. And just through conversations and, and watching Brian, Adam and, and Satch, you know, go about how they coach it was so clear that their players loved them, that the relationship went far beyond the, the four-year college experience. And they, they, were, they were guys that I looked up to and said, man, that's, that's how I want to be as a college coach. And so I, I, I was hoping to have the experience of working day-to-day -day and really learning from them. Okay. So then we move on to Pepperdine, where you're, you're currently uh, stationed. And so... Yeah, again, you know, obviously Pepperdine has this amazing tennis tradition and, you know, had a, a few down years before you got there. And so what do you believe the Pepperdine administration, the athletic director, et cetera, saw in you that made them believe you were the right person to bring the program back to the top of the game? Is, is it an appropriate answer to say I'm not really sure? <laughs> No, it's not because they, they saw something in you, right? You had a collection of assistant coach experience. You're also a head coach at, at a mid-major program. So 
uh, yeah, obviously there, there's experience level there, but again, Pepperdine uh, won a national championship, I believe in 2006. And obviously that's where they believe they should be right. Or want to be back there. And obviously it's an attractive job and I'm sure you beat out a number of uh, coaches that probably had a lot more head coaching experience than you did at that time. So they saw something in you and, and you've had maybe a few years to reflect upon that now and you don't have to be humble about it. <laughs> well, I, my first reaction during, when the job opened, my wife was like, Hey, that Pepperdine job could be a great fit for you. And I, without false humility, I said, like, I have no chance <laughs> there. There's just too many other guys that'll be interested in that with great experience. And what I, I really respect about our athletic director and I, he's done a great job hiring so many other phenomenal coaches. I think Perry is the best women's coach in college tennis. And, you know, when you look at other sports, men's golf, Michael Beard is the best coach in the game, won the national championship last year and they're top 10 in the country. Again, he, he does an amazing job of, of looking at fit. And so, you know, I think just as, as we're recruiting players as a college coach, it might not always be that the best player is is the best recruit but it's the person who's the best fit for your program and i think steve does an amazing job of really finding great fits with pepperdine what they appreciated about me i think was that when i was at north florida the budget the the scholarship allotment you know the there was a sense of I'm, I'm not coming in here just as someone coming from a massive power five who's going to expect the same treatment at every level of the program, you know, and, and Pepperdine, as proud as we are of competing at an elite level, there, there are, it's a smaller school and smaller athletic department than a lot of the programs that, that we beat. And so head coaches here need to be resourceful and I think they need to take an attitude of you know I don't really care what the resources are we're going to get it done and and I think that was something that they saw and I, I think also it, it did help me to have experience with a top 10 program as an assistant at Notre Dame and and we had beaten the number one team in the country and and made national indoors and produced all Americans and then also I, I had gone in and at a young age had some head coaching experience at a D1 level, you know, that that's my bias, but I would encourage anyone who, who's on the fence, you know, about betting on yourself as a young head coach, as much as I learned at Notre Dame and as appreciative as I am for those five years and just the phenomenal players and coaches I worked with, the learning that I was able to receive at, at, at North Florida, I, I don't know if that's replaceable, you know, just being in that seat. And I, those were my first sleepless nights, you know, having the pressure of having my name attached to our ranking and, and our recruiting. Um, that was when I learned to make a seven day trip to Europe where you're in five countries and you're seeing 22 recruits because yeah. that's the only trip that you're going to make. And that's the only trip your budget can allow. And so those experiences, I, I think, really did help me prepare for Pepperdine. And, you know, the last thing was it, it took some confidence to take that job because Steiny and Peter Smith and Alan Fox, there's been absolute legends that have coached here. And I, I think, you know, although the team had been outside the top 200 when, when I took the job, everyone in the tennis community and everyone in the college tennis world knew the expectations, knew that, that this was a program, a proud program that expected to be top 25 quickly and, and in the future top 10 and competing for national titles. And that was something that I embraced and was really excited about. I remember talking to a few other coaches during that process and they were like, hey, be careful. You know, you don't want to get into a situation where they have high expectations and then you're, you're putting yourself on the line if you can't reach those expectations. And I, I you know, this is not to be cocky in any way, but I, I really embraced and appreciated the fact that they wanted to be great. You know, I wanted to be a part of a program that, that had those same ambitions. And I didn't, I would have been frustrated if, if they 
would have settled for less. And so for me, that that's been an exciting part of the job. And, you know, as, as certain people, you know, have encouraged us and said, Hey, we're doing a great job being 20 to 25 in the country in, in three or four years. I personally think we've left a bit on the table and I'm really excited about, you know, the next level and continuing to, to raise the level of the program. Mm. So bringing you back to kind of your interview and uh, I'm asking this question again, because I know a lot of coaches are about to go through this this summer, as I referenced earlier, but were there any steps that you took before the interview to you think that may have helped you get the job? Was there any phone calls that you made, any emails that you sent, anything that you think that you did well to set you up even before you got on campus for the interview? I think trying to balance not pestering the, the folks that are making the hire, but also expressing interest is, is a really difficult balance. For me, I can say that, you know, I interviewed for six or seven other head coaching jobs and didn't get them. And, and there, were, there were certain jobs that I felt like, man, I, I hit that out of the park during the interview process and, and then didn't get the nod. What helped me and, and really gave me confidence, I've, I've heard of some coaches creating a full-on book, you know, this is my 10-year vision for the program and, and then presenting that when they sit down to meet with an AD. That, that was a little overwhelming for me and I, I felt like, I, I felt more confidence in expressing through the, the dialogue what I was really envisioning and, and what I wanted to accomplish. I did create four or five different supplements and one of them would be a, a development plan that I created for a player when I was at Notre Dame. Another one was a recruiting vision. And so it, it detailed exactly how I would want to use my 4.5 and lay out the allotment. And another piece of it was the core values that I envisioned building into the program. And so they were smaller, um, less comprehensive pieces. Um, but then during the interview process, when, you know, you, you're meeting with seven or eight different administrators, as you're going through the process, if an administrator would ask me, Hey, you know, you've, you've had some recruiting success at, at Notre Dame and North Florida. How do you approach that? I, I, I felt great about then pulling out, Hey, let me, let me share with you. And then also, also pass this to you. This is, this is how I approach recruiting. And so each, you know, I've learned from a lot of different coaches that have gone through that interview process, but for me, having those supplements and then also having stories, you know, I, I think it's a lot more powerful to, instead of saying, you know, I balance international recruiting with American recruiting, being able to say, you know, when I was at North Florida, I brought in a five-man class and two were from Florida and three were international. And, and let me tell you about this British player that we signed. I think that was helpful during the, the interview process. Yeah, I think that's great advice, Adam, and, and hope coaches will take that on board as they prepare for interviews this summer. And I think, yeah, I was speaking with a young coach the other day who was about to go through that process. And I said the exact same thing about the stories. It was almost the information he was sharing was too clinical, what will happen in the future, rather than showing that I've done this in the past and I this is how I'm going to apply it to my next role. So great to, to hear you reinforce that. But other than recruiting, you know, good players and, and going after good players to, to fill up your roster, what other steps did you take early in your tenure at, at Pepperdine, you know, to bring the program back to, to national prominence? Obviously, the focus Yes, recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. But what are some of those other things that you put time and attention to early in your tenure? I made it a huge goal early on to just show the guys how much I cared about them as people. And so tried to try to meet with everyone on a consistent basis off the court, tried to really show them, you know, when they lost matches, when they were injured and unable to compete, or when they were struggling with something off the court that, that I cared. And, you know, that was genuine, but also intentional. And I think that was something that was really important in building our culture. And if I'm going to talk about holistic development and, you know, say that that's a core value of the program, then I need to show that. And then the other piece was really building a culture where development was something that our coaches are passionate about and our players are excited about. And so 
I was a bit of a maniac, I would say, about making the minutes that we have on court efficient. You know, I, I was really, I never wanted to have a player come in for an individual and just play some baseline games, you know, and, and then get out of there in 45 minutes. I, I wanted them to feel like when they showed up on the tennis court, it was well thought out, well planned, and there was an individualized efficiency about how we approach those those times and we we made a conscious decision to make all individuals voluntary and there was some risk there you know we had a few guys on the team do zero and I knew that going in there was some risk in that but I I wanted there to to be a buzz on the team about hey you know you can get within NCAA rules you can have unlimited individuals with this coaching staff and man like every time I go in there I'm getting better and these guys really know what they're doing. And it, it took some time. You know, I, we did have about 30, you know, 40%, you know, three or four guys out of the 10 guys on that first team didn't, didn't do any. And we had one or two guys do five a week. And, you know, over the, over the four years that I've been at Pepperdine, we, we've kept that. That's been a consistent approach. The individuals are fully voluntary and, now we're at the point where we don't have anyone on the team that does less than two or three a week. And, you know, they, the guys value them and I think appreciate them quite a lot. And so those were some of the first, first building blocks of, of this culture that we're trying to build. Very good. And so now that you've had a few years to reflect upon it, is there anything you would have done differently or prioritize differently in your first year at Pepperdine or your first six months, whatever time frame you want to use? You know, I, I think I, I took the losses probably harder than I needed to in, in the first year. And, and I, I, that's something I've tried to get better at. I remember our first doubleheader, we, we lost to Abilene Christian and, and Fresno State back to back. And just, I was devastated. You know, the, I, I, I was, we lost our third match as well. So those were our first two. And then we lost our third match. And I, I was in a place where I was like, man, we might not win a single match this year. <laughs> that was, well, how, how bad are we? And, you know, we ended up the first year, by the end of the year, having some, some big wins. We, we beat Wisconsin. We beat BYU, who was a top 40 team. And the team improved throughout that year. I, I could have done a much better job of just appreciating the, the process during that time and, and maybe not, not taking the losses quite as personal as I did. And I think also this is a never ending challenge as a husband and dad, but there are definitely some regrets just for how much time I was away from home and, and how much international recruiting travel that we were doing in those first two years. And, you know, when I say I was a maniac about the individuals and the approach and things like that, I, I, I do, I'm critical of myself in terms of, yes, it, I, I do think it went beyond professionalism and, and it was, it was approaching obsession, <laughs> you know, just the last year or two, I, I've tried to do a much better job of, of being balanced. And when I'm away from the, the program, having some, some times to really shut down and, and focus on my family and, and really appreciate the times that I have with my kids because they, they go really fast. And, you know, that's, that's one, I'm still young, but if there are other coaches that are having young kids, you know, you don't get that time back. And so, you know, not to get overly personal here, but I, that is something that I would really encourage any other coaches that are going through this process. You're going to be taking over. If you're taking over a, a, a top head coaching job, you're probably taking over a program that's not in great shape. <laughs> There's a reason that you're taking over that role. And, you know, we're in year four and I, I feel like there's still a lot of work that's ongoing and, and still in process for the culture that we're trying to build. And as hard as we've worked and as committed as we've been, it, it's not a one or two year deal. And it's, it's not a three year deal either. You know, it's a, it's a long-term process. And I think the balance and, and it'll keep you healthier mentally and physically. And, and I think also 
help you in, in other roles in your life, which are more important than your coaching role, which are, you know, the roles that you have with your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Adam is something that I really struggled with as a coach. And one of the reasons I'm not doing it now, I, I just couldn't strike that balance. And I know coaches are, are striving for that on a daily basis and, and yeah, trying to figure out how all those things fit in together because yeah, there is this constant, uh, feeling of I should be doing something right I should be doing something for my program and there can't be an idle minute and uh, I know I know how that feels so I can relate and appreciate you sharing that with coaches and and sharing that advice so one other question just to kind of around the hiring process now you know you've been fortunate like you said to work for, for two great head coaches but how has your experience as an assistant coach shaped what you look for when hiring an assistant coach. So what are some of those qualities that you think you're really looking for and what has made your approach to that process now? So let me just, one last thing in regards to the, the family piece and the balance piece, and then I'll share about the assistant. We, I was forced in my, my second year, we, my wife had a bad skiing accident and she broke both of her legs. And, and so my assistant, I, I told Tass, hey, these next three months, you're going to be the head coach and I'm the assistant and I've got to take the backseat here. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we traveled, my, my, my eight and six-year-old at the time were six and four and they came with us uh, when we went to Minnesota. We had run out of family to come in and help and three kids at home and my wife unable to walk. It ended up being a situation where we just had to incorporate the family with, with the team. And that was such a good learning experience for me. Number one, just seeing how much I could trust and rely on my assistant, but also number two, I thought it was a great experience for my team. They, they really fell in love with, you know, my kids and, and loved the exposure to family. And, and I think it was great for them to see me prioritize my wife and, and be there to serve her. And it, it also, you know, in a really clear way that the tennis is not the most important thing in life, which is, I think, a really important thing for these guys to be learning during college. So, you know, I think that was, that was for me such a great, such a hard time, but also a great learning experience. And, you know, I, I hope that other young coaches don't have to have <laughs> the come from, from that kind of experience. I would just encourage you, you know, you're, you're not as important as you think you are and you're not as critical as you think you are and and for me that was that was a great thing to learn when you know commenting on the guy task task just absolutely killed it when when he had that opportunity and that responsibility and i've learned a lot about what i am looking for in an, an assistant through working with him because he's made my life better and made our program so much better for me it's really important to have someone who has fun in the, in the job, you know, I think fun is a, is a hugely underrated part of development and in tennis, not just college tennis, but tennis in general, it's such a a marathon and, you know, a guy like Brad Stein, who is one of the best ATP coaches on tour, you know, when I go and watch him work with Tommy Paul, like they're having a lot of fun, you know, they're, they're in the trenches and they're getting work done, but they're also enjoying that process. And, so Tass does a wonderful job of, of being really passionate and professional and, and also just having a great time. He makes dinners, you know, van rides. They're, they're always a blast when, when he's a part of it. And I think for me, someone who's really passionate about recruiting, someone that has a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and, and wants to not settle for, oh, you know, this is where Pepperdine should be based on, you know, these factors, but someone like, really excited about hey let's let's go in there and beat some of the the guys that have been top five over the last few years and then i think the 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 most important piece is is trust having you know the world that we live in in college athletics coaches can can you know say one wrong thing or, or have something interpreted the wrong way and and boom like that's that's the end of a career and you know having someone I know when Tass goes and meets with a young person that's struggling and gets lunch with them, that he's bringing a life perspective that's on point. And I know he truly cares. I know he respects and supports me and, 
so the trust that we have is is so important in how fast-paced our our job is and you, you you can't oversee every decision that your assistant is making and so i think the trust is is vitally important Excellent. Adam, okay, we're going to move on to some rapid fire questions. So what is the best piece of advice you have ever received from anyone in your life? It doesn't have to be tennis related. You know, I think Arvid was, was phenomenal about this. When I was asking him about jobs after college, I, I was looking at an IT sales job. <laughs> and, and Arvid was the one who was like, dude, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. You gotta, you gotta pursue what you're passionate about. And, uh, you know, the first several years of, of my college coaching career, I was, I was making very little money, even when I was a head coach in North Florida. And, you know, it's been, a, it has been a financial struggle, raising a family and, and following the path that we followed. But I I've loved every second of that journey. And I think it's because I'm, I'm doing what I love and following my passion. So that was, that was great advice from Marvin. Okay. Is there a book, podcast, article, passage, poem that's had an influence on your journey to date? Yeah. I, so I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little bit of a weird one here. I've read a million coaching books. The, the book that really has made a big impact on how I approach development, the, there's a Suzuki school of music and this Suzuki wrote a, an autobiography that also includes his approach to development with young kids in, 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 a, in music. And I think there's a ton of crossover into sport and it really has impacted how, how I approach development. And, and a lot of the, the main message is that every, every child and every young person has the ability to learn, but it's finding the way that they learn. And I think as coaches, that's such a good check-in. You know, we have a tendency to, to, to move in ways that are comfortable to us. And I think that finding a way to get curious about how your, your players learn is, is such a good path to, to go down when you're trying to make a difference in, in how they grow. Mm, great. And is there a favorite drill you like to do with your team? <laughs> My guys would start laughing here because we, we do follow the leader. It's, it's a pretty simple drill where one guy is hitting to a big target on, on alternating sides and the other guy is deeper in the court working through the middle. And we do quite a lot of variations off of that. So, you know, where, where then transitioning is allowed, where winners are allowed, where the, the defender can only use continental grip, you know, the defender is allowed to reverse the point when, when it, becomes available but i'm a huge i'm a huge believer in in becoming comfortable in in both of those areas both you know defending deep in the court and and being able to to accept that and also being able to lead the point and, and be tough on offense okay and can you name one change that we could make in college tennis that might make college tennis more appealing to a larger audience <laughs> Not to be too controversial here. <laughs> you know, I, I love I'd love to see college tennis more integrated with the, the ATP and the WTA. And that's a move that I've seen college golf make with their velocity rankings. They are hosted on the PGA Tour website. They've got great resources for graduating athletes that are going on to play on tour, you know, exemptions that they're getting. And I think it would be almost like a mind boggling for us to consider the top two ITA ranked players, not just receiving one wild card, but receiving 10 wild cards into challengers and two fifties. But that really is the equivalent of what the, the top golfers are, are receiving as they're transitioning on tour. And so, for me, just that, that hits into how do we make our, how do we make our tournaments better? You know, how could we make a regional where there's a 250 on the line? You know, that would be such a remarkable thing to, to offer. How do we, you know, move beyond just the, the US Open wildcard as our only connection to pro tennis? And I think that validates us in the, in the eyes of the tennis world. I think it also validates us when it comes to marketing and promotion and TV. And I think it also helps us attract the very best athletes in the world to be a part of 
uh, of our sport, you know, it would make that whole, should I turn pro or should I go to college? I think it, it makes that a lot easier for, for the best young athletes to, to come and, and be a part of college tennis. So dreaming big there, but I think that's something that I, I would love to see us move in that direction. Mm-hmm. Well, I have had those conversations with both the ATP and the WTA, but we can take that offline a little bit, but it is, uh, it is interesting. And um, yeah, what, what uh, golf has done is, is definitely an interesting model. Just a, a few differences there between the golf world and the tennis world, especially uh, tournament ownership. That's the, the real difficult part with, with wild cards, right? It's not the tour that owns the wild cards. It's the, the tournament host, which is a little different from golf, but definitely something that I know the, the USTA, Martin Blackman are, are interested in trying to provide more, more wild cards through the college tennis pathway, which is exciting. I think there'll be more information released on that this fall. So keep, keep a, an eye out on that. But one last question, is there one piece of advice you'd have for the next generation of coaches that are maybe in their twenties, let's say? Every success that I've had, David, and, and you, you've been a part of this. You, we've, we've been friends since I was playing at Northwestern and we've checked in over the years and I looked up to you when you were coaching at Oklahoma and, you know, then we had a chance to stay close friends as you moved to the ITA and every, every great opportunity that I've been offered has been through relationships and through mentors, you know, as it turned out, the reason that North Florida was calling me wasn't because I was a good coach. It was because Sean Mamie had told them they needed to call me and, you know, the situation at Pepperdine was multiple coaches reaching out to Pepperdine and saying, you need to like, take a look at Adam, you know, you might not have the resume, but, and so I would just encourage young coaches. I, I have networking has been a result of building great relationships and being gen, genuinely curious about, you know, the way that people do things. I, I called Brian Calvis because the guy was winning everything and I just wanted to learn from him. And, you know, then it turned out he had played at Notre Dame and, and I was at Notre Dame and we built a great friendship. And so those kinds of phone calls, I would just encourage young coaches, you know, and, and I offer up, you know, uh, certainly there are a lot better coaches out there, but I, I would love to make myself available if, if anyone has questions or wants to talk about things specifically. I, I, those phone calls and those relationships and just having a beer with people that have done it at a really high level has, has made a huge impact on, on my development as a coach and also the opportunities that I've been given. So I would encourage any young coach to just make time and, and, and really build those relationships and work on them. Great. Well, I think that's a, a good place to leave it, Adam. I know you've got a, a lot on your plate, so thank you again for doing this. It's been a been a pleasure spending the last hour with you. I'm excited to get this out to our coaches. Thanks, David. I appreciate it, man. This has been fun.